Hey, thanks for joining us on the No Limits Church podcast. Here at No Limits, we are on a mission to make a difference in the lives of others. We want to help people know God, find freedom, and discover purpose. It's a journey, and we're all walking it together. So wherever you're listening from, we pray that you are encouraged and empowered by this week's message. Well, I'm so thankful you're joining us here at church or from your home or your car, wherever you are right now. I just want to say hello. And if you're new here, special welcome to you. Thanks for being with us today. We're actually continuing a series that we're calling The Daniel Dilemma, where we're learning from a guy named Daniel who lived over 2,600 years ago and how he kind of handled the situation that we're in now, and he handled it really good. So we're going to learn from him. But for those of you who don't know me, my name's Cade. I'm the lead pastor here alongside my wife, Beth. And here at No Limits, we're on a mission of making a difference in the lives of others. And how we do that is we want to help people know God. We want to help people find freedom and discover their purpose. In other words, we want to help you live the life that God planned for you before you were even born. Just like Beth was talking about, it's a good plan. He knew you were coming, and he knew what you were going to do before you came. How cool is that? But it's a journey. You don't get there overnight, and you also don't get there by yourself. So that's why we meet together every Sunday. That's why we get together in our small groups throughout the week. And the goal we're reaching for is found in our core scripture, which is Ephesians 3.20. And it basically tells us that whenever we allow God's power to work in us, just give him full control and all come together and do that, that he's going to blow our minds with what he can accomplish through us as a church who do that together. So that's what we're after. That's why we're called No Limits Church. So go ahead and look at whoever you're with right now and say, it's time to take the limits off. It's time. Well, y'all, this year we've had like an in-depth lesson on cleanliness, haven't we? Because of the virus. We've probably used more sanitizer in 2020 than we have in the past 53 years combined since hand sanitizer was invented back in 1966. Wouldn't you agree? But there's one area of cleanliness that we all still need to watch out for that nobody's really talking about. You see, you may remember that we were all formed from dust, like God formed man out of the dust of the ground, right, and then breathed life into him. And then to make things full circle, when you die, what happens? You return back to dust. So when it comes to cleaning my house, that's why I don't dust, because it might be somebody that I know. So you got to watch out for that. i got to give you all a good laugh every morning, because the world's just too serious right now. The joy of the Lord is my strength. So I'm going to laugh. All right, let's continue our series called The Daniel Dilemma. turns out we currently face the same dilemma. A man named Daniel faced more than 2,600 years ago. And Daniel was Jewish, which means that he belonged to the people of God. And back then, Jewish people were the only people that belonged to God. But thanks to Jesus, we've all been adopted into the kingdom of God. Woo, man, I'm glad to be in the family. But since Daniel was Jewish, you would assume that like he was surrounded by people who were just godly people and followed all the scriptures to the T. They were just good people. But unfortunately, back in Daniel's day, even the people of God were straying from the truth. And I imagine what it looked like back then probably is similar to what it looks like today in America. But Daniel was one of the few that didn't give in to culture. He continued to live a righteous life even when a majority of his friends and family were off following the ways of the world instead of following the ways of God. And because everybody was drifting, things didn't turn out so well for God's people. They actually ended up getting captured by King Nebuchadnezzar and then were taken to Babylon to serve him and his kingdom. What a bummer. They became slaves. Well, we kicked off this series two weeks ago talking about how culture has an agenda for you. It wants to change your identity. It wants to compromise your standards. And it wants to create confrontation. Anybody feel the confrontation lately? And Christians really struggle with this confrontation thing because we either tend to spew truth out of our mouths like it's a toxic substance 
Or we go way far on the other end and start advocating for sin without even realizing that we're doing it. And the thing is, though, we need truth, but we also need grace, and we need them working together. We need to be compassionate towards people while remaining confident in the truth in God's word at the same time. They seem contradictory, but they actually go together. It's good stuff. And last week, we uncovered the root of all ungodly behavior. It's all rooted in one mindset. Could you believe that it would be that simple? And once you're able to identify this mindset, that's when you're able to be in the world without allowing the world inside of you. Well, what is this one thing? Do you all remember? Individualism. It's when you elevate yourself above others. It's when you elevate yourself above God. I wouldn't do that. Well, you kind of do it every time you read something in the Word and then don't follow it. That's elevating yourself above God, just to make it plain and simple. It's kind of like the modern American religion, really. Life has become all about what, what's good for me, what feels good for me, what's beneficial for me. But last week, we walked away from individualism. We said, nope, no more. We ain't doing that. We're going to choose to humble ourselves, because if we don't humble ourselves, what happens? Humiliation. God will humble you eventually. So instead, we're going to humble ourselves, and we're going to elevate God. And when we do that, God will actually elevate us into the amazing call and purpose that he has on our lives So much freedom in that. Today, I'm going to help you understand how to hold on to love while you're taking a stand for the truth. Because you may have noticed how love tends to go out the window when you get passionate about the truth. Just think back to when you were a new believer, or maybe you've witnessed one. I mean, they just get so passionate about the truth that they just go out and they kind of forget love in the process. But the Word of God tells us that we need truth and love working together. Actually, without love, we can't accomplish anything. Let me show you. It's in Scripture. Galatians 5, 6 says, the only thing that counts is faith. Doing what? Expressing itself through love. So before the book of Galatians, there's like a whole lot of Bible. Like Galatians is kind of towards the end of the Bible. And then we get this statement. Hey, I know I've told you a lot. You've read a lot up to this point, but there's something really important that you need to know. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So apparently this is really important and something that we need to get. So step one, you put your faith in God. Stand for the truth in God's word. And step two, you love others in the process. And the thing is, the church isn't known for doing this well. Because we tend to take this stance of thinking that we have to defend God. We have to protect God. So even though we're sharing the truth, we're ugly about it because we really don't care about the other person. We're just trying to defend our God, defend our religion, defend our Bible. And the thing is, uh, there's a lot of people at the church mad, or there's a lot of people mad at the church right now because of Christians that act like this. Have you ever heard somebody tell you, I'm never going to church again because of the way so-and-so treated me? Because they were hypocritical. They said one thing and did another. Here's the deal, though. We're not here to defend God. We're here to help others know God. Let that sink in for a minute. And if I'm honest with you, I've been the Christian that was so passionate about the truth that I left love in the dust and kind of beat up a bunch of people in the process. If you would have known me about 10 years ago, you would have felt that in full force. Jesus knew we'd have a hard time with this. That's why he gave us a tip to navigate this tricky issue. So Jesus, what do you have to tell us this morning? It's found in John 13, 34. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Didn't you say that, Jesus? Why did he say that twice right there? Oh, wait. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you... Love one another. He said it three times, y'all. He knew we'd have a hard time getting it. All this time, I thought that people would know I was a Christian if I went to church every Sunday. All this time, I thought they'd know I was a Christian if I got baptized or if I had a Bible on my coffee table. Whether it was dusty or not, at least it's there. But turns out the only way people know that I'm a true disciple of Jesus is if I love you. 
All of you. All my brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're not talking about that surface pretend type of love where you show up on Sunday and say, I love you with the love of the Lord. No, you got to like really love people, like a genuine love where you care about them. You really do. So you'll hear people who've been in the church a while say things like, you know, okay, when are we going to like go into something a little deeper? Can you, can you give me a message that's going to confuse me a little bit? That's really what they're saying right there, right? I want to have to think through this. Well, I hate to break it to you, but this is pretty much as deep as it gets. Love the people that annoy you. Love your neighbor that always has a lawn that looks better than yours. Love the people who do things that you don't agree with. Love the people that vote for the presidential candidate that you don't think should be the president. Uh, Did that just come out? Do we really got to do that? So I'm pretty sure if... Jesus were here and you're asking, Jesus, come on, give me something deep. Give me a deep message. He'd look at you and say, well, you know what? Once you get this love thing down, then we can talk. So why don't you come back a little later and let me know when you have that down. In other words, 1 Corinthians 14.1, it says, go after a life of love as if your life depended on it, because it does. And if you're looking for a how-to on love, there's no better place to go than where? 1 Corinthians 13. There the Apostle Paul laid it out in a way that's really easy for us to understand. It's easy to understand, but hard to do. (laughs) And if you go verse by verse, you actually come up with five different things that will happen if you don't love others well. So let's go over those first. And here's where you start filling in those blanks if you're taking notes. Without love, all I say is ineffective. It doesn't matter if you're right or not. If you don't have love, your words don't even matter. Without love, even the best truth that you spew out of your mouth is going to render ineffective. It's not going to work. Because you see, it's not about winning arguments. It's about winning hearts. In case you're having a hard time believing me on this one, let me show it to you in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 13.1. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be noisy. You'd be a bunch of noise. That didn't help anybody. And we live in a culture that's overwhelmingly vocal when they disagree with you. At least on Facebook, they are. I've noticed that they're not really that way in person. Interesting. We've been trained by culture to take like this self-righteous stand about the things that we believe and cut down anybody that doesn't agree with us. And you've probably heard me say this before. I'm going to ask you a question. When's the last time that you argued with somebody and changed their mind? And you're scanning right now, right? Scanning. There's got to be one in there. There's not. You can't even argue with your spouse and change their mind. Trust me, I've tried a lot of times and so has she. Never worked. So if we're not supposed to argue, how do we stand for the truth? Well, Ephesians 4.15 tells us, Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. So what it really comes down to is your motivation. Are you speaking the truth because you want to be right? Or are you speaking the truth because you love the other person too much to watch them live a lie? And we can kind of convince ourselves that we're doing the latter. Oh, yeah, I love them too much to watch them live a lie. But really... Deep down, you just want to be right. So that's kind of like an inner reflection moment that you need to have anytime you're about to share some hard truth with somebody. Am I just trying to show that I'm right? Keep in mind, speaking the truth in love still has the potential to make the other person upset. And that's going to happen sometimes, even when you have the right motivation. But the reality is you can trust God to work with that truth, that a seed was planted, and then you just ask him to go water that seed to grow into a harvest. So here's the next thing 1 Corinthians 13 shows us, and that's without love, all I know is insignificant. 
There's a stat out there that says that we're currently doubling our knowledge every three years. That's really thanks to Google. We can go get our question answered anytime we want to. The funny thing is we're supposedly getting smarter, but the world is worse off. How does that happen? Well, 1 Corinthians 13, 2, if I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge but didn't love others, I'd be nothing. In other words, you could be the smartest person on the planet, but if you didn't love others, it'd mean nothing. You wouldn't help anybody. And here's the next one. Without love, all I believe is insufficient. Even the strongest faith is not enough on its own. Yet you get caught up in the ideas. Sometimes we do, all I need is more faith to impact people's life. All I need is faith for people to be healed or whatever. Like we just think we need more faith. But in 1 Corinthians 13 too, it says, if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I'd be nothing. If you had faith that could literally move a mountain, I'd be impressed. I'd be like, wow, can you move the Colorado mountains to my backyard? Let's go ahead and do that right now. But if you didn't love others in the process, God would not be impressed with that at all. You can move the whole Rocky Mountain range over here to Oklahoma, but if you didn't love others, it wouldn't matter. And here's the next one. Without love, all I give is incomplete. You guys are the most generous people that I know. The things that we're able to do financially as a church just blow my mind. It's just incredible. But it's not the amount that matters. What matters is the love that we have for the people that we give to. Like we give because we love the people here at church and we want to help them know God, find freedom, discover purpose. We give because we love the people of Mexico and the people of the Philippines and the people in the prison ministry, in the prisons, for the prison ministry that we support. But if we're not careful, our giving can become a source of pride. Like, look at what we've done. Look at how much I've given. But it's not about us. It's about the positive impact that we're having on the lives of those around us. And that's why I take time at the end of every service just to let you know the impact that your giving is making. Because it says, if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. In the same scripture, you also see the last conclusion we can come to about what happens when we don't love well, where it says, if I sacrificed my body, if I gave all my time, if I... Worked really hard, but without love, all I accomplish is inadequate. We see this all the time. The people in America who have amazing accomplishments get to the end of their life and realize that they gain nothing because they didn't love people along the way. That's really sad. They abandon their family in the name of accomplishment. They abandon their church to get a little more work done on Sundays or whatever it was. And now they have grown kids who don't want anything to do with them. They have a pile of money, and all it does is contribute to their unhappiness. And the only people that want to be around them are people who want to be with them because of their money. And that's a bummer. Yet all, the time, all that time, they honestly believed. Like, I don't think that they were just a bad person. They honestly believed that overworking and sacrificing their time with family would somehow pay off in the end. It'd somehow pay off, but it doesn't. It doesn't pay off. But have you noticed that this mindset, the reason it doesn't pay off, is because that mindset is rooted in elevating self. You overwork so that you can feel accomplished. Look what I did. You run after money so that people will see that you're successful. Look at the house I have, the car I drive. You elevate yourself above your family because you think that your work is more important than spending time with the kids or whatever it is. And anytime you're elevating yourself above those around you, what does that mean? You've fallen into one of the devil's plans, one of the devil's traps, and it's time to get out. Let me put it to you this way. Your life minus love is nothing. Zero. Zilch. Without love, your life doesn't even matter. Without love, this church doesn't even matter. 
If we're not loving people, this church doesn't even matter. And that's exactly why we have this core value here at No Limits. And that's we love others without reason. You don't have to earn our love. You don't have to meet some set of requirements. You don't have to do all the right things. We love you because God loves you. And we love you just as you are. And we love you too much to leave you there. We don't have to guess at how to do this because the Bible gives us everything that we need to know in four simple verses. 1 Corinthians 13, you guys probably heard this before. Love is patient and kind. And we'll just do a wrap right there because we all need to go home and work on it, right? <laughs> Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice. It does not rejoice about injustice. There's an easy way right there to figure out when politicians are lying to you. Because there's some of them out there that are rejoicing about a mom taking the life of her child, but telling you that they love you because they're giving you the choice. But it's not love at all. Love does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful, and it endures through every circumstance. Let me give you a challenge. Why don't you read these verses, these four verses. It takes like 30 seconds. Read them every day until you get it and you're going to be reading them until you die, all right, just to let you know. But it's probably the most helpful thing that you can take away from this message today is I need to read this and read it and read it and read it because I need the constant reminder. Maybe go write it on your bathroom mirror. That could be a good thing to do because I don't know about you, but some of these things are a little hard to swallow. Like, love never gives up. Like, I can think of some people that I'd like to give up on because they've done that one too many times. But then I go back to this, and I'm like, oh, well, i got to keep hope because this next time might just be the time that things turn around. So we've been in the book of Daniel throughout this entire series, and I'm not about to let this message go by without showing you guys how Daniel handled this love thing, because he did a really good job. And he's our example. And all through, this book, all through the book of Daniel, we've seen him standing strong in his beliefs, but he was respectful and he was kind at the same time. It was good stuff. He never budged on his convictions, but people respected him and they loved him and they just wanted to be around him because he's just a good guy to be around. So let's look at a story here in Daniel chapter 6. Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. So this is really interesting, right? He chose, the king chose 120 Babylonians to rule over each province, and then he chose the outsider, the Israelite, Daniel, to rule over the 120 other leaders. Like, that's really interesting right there. Why? Why did this happen? Well, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Everyone should take note of that right there. Daniel was able to stand out amongst everyone else because he embraced the word of God and that gave him exceptional qualities, not abilities. He wasn't the smartest. I mean, he was the smartest guy. He had qualities. So you don't have to be the most talented. You don't have to be the most educated. You simply embrace the word of God and put on these exceptional qualities and you're going to stand out amongst everyone else. I mean, just look at Daniel because he was standing firm in the word of God. The king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. That's good stuff. And here's how his fellow leaders responded. This is good too. Well, funny. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. Of course they did. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. You know how it goes when you get promoted. There's always somebody who don't like it. 
And they try to, because they're jealous is usually what it comes down to. But in Daniel's case, they couldn't come up with a solid argument. And here's why. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. Notice it didn't say anything about how good looking he was. He might have been, but we don't know. Or how many degrees that he had on the wall. Or how much money he had. Nope, he had character. And I don't know about you, but this is good news for me because I don't have fancy degrees to put on my wall. I don't have millions of dollars. And I don't even have big muscles to attract people, masses of people to the church. But hey, I can choose to have character every day of my life. It's a choice. There's no prerequisite to character. It's something you choose in every situation. You can be faithful to your church. You just have to choose to prioritize it in your schedule and in your giving. You can choose to be responsible. You simply show up to work on time. You fulfill your commitment. You put your phone on do not disturb, and you're going to stand out, and you're going to get promoted. I can promise you that it'll work every time. And every single one of us can do this. We can all distinguish ourselves by following the word of God and what it tells us to do. And the same character is what enables you to love others. So let's make this practical. Here's three things that you can do to love others well. First one is you got to serve them. And this is really easy. You take one minute each day, just kind of look around, find a need, and fulfill it. We're talking about helping somebody with one of their tasks at work. Or maybe getting a cart for somebody at the grocery store. I mean, simple stuff. This is how you can serve people. And here's how the Apostle Paul explains it in the Bible. He says, though I'm free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. So here we have the greatest leader that the church has ever known. The Apostle Paul, who wrote over a third of the New Testament. And he's telling us that he chose to be a servant so that he could win as many people to Jesus as possible. And we need to learn from his example. We don't serve to earn honor and respect from man. We don't serve to impress God. We don't serve because Kay told me to serve. We serve because we're passionate about leading people to Jesus. We clean the bathrooms because we realize that a dirty bathroom might keep somebody from coming back. And we want them to come back so they can get to know God even more. We serve in kids' ministry because our kids need to know Jesus. And our kids are super valuable because one day they're going to be in our shoes and they're going to be the ones sharing Jesus and leading the next generation to Jesus. So we got to invest in them now. So when you're walking into church and you might think, you know, I don't really feel like serving today. First of all, don't feel guilty. We all have been there. <laughs> it even happens to me sometimes. That's when you just kind of hit yourself in the back of the head and you're saying, no, 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 no. I have the opportunity today to help lead people to Jesus. So I'm going to choose joy. I'm going to put on a smile. I'm going to be glad to be here. It's all about perspective. And that's why serving people is so important. Jesus really gave us the example because he always connected before he corrected. So it all starts with relationship. But we all like to jump the gun and try to help people find freedom before we connect with them. Show them that we genuinely care about them. And there's a saying out there, which is so true. People don't, know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? You got to show them that you care first. And I can sum it up into this one statement. Our job is not to fix people. Our job is to connect with people. Let God do the fixing. He's a lot better at it. And here's the second thing we can do to live a life of love. And that's, we got to set an example for them. This one might give some of y'all a little bit of anxiety because you know that if other people knew how you lived... Day to day, they might not want to be a Christian. Well, hey, we've all been there. (laughs) And one of my biggest hopes as a pastor is that you'll choose to be here every Sunday and get plugged into a small group and go through growth track and join a dream team because these things are in place to help you get to a place where you can really be a great example to those around you. Seriously, I can promise you, if you invest your time to the things we have going on here at church, like it will work. 
you're going to get just a little bit down the road, and you're going to look back, and you're like, look how far I've come. Can you believe that that happened in my life? We don't put these things together to give you something to do. Y'all don't need something else to do. I don't need something else to do. But if you want to, we want to make a difference. We all do. It's deep down on the inside of you, and all these things will help you make a difference. So engage in the things we have going on here at church. Just make a choice to do it, because it's going to help you. Just like Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I love that. Because people see your good deeds, they'll give their life to God. They'll give their life to Jesus. They're going to glorify God because of what you did. So the people around you will want what you have whenever you're living that kind of life. And they're going to see that your life is different, and you're going to be able to explain to them, hey, it's because of Jesus. This isn't me. This is Jesus. Which leads us into the third way we love others well, and that's you got to share Jesus with them. At this point, it's not about trying to get somebody to buy into our belief system. It's not about trying to prove that I'm right and you're wrong. No, since we've served them and then we set the example for them, we now have the opportunity to share Jesus with them. And it's a natural thing to do. Seriously, when you have these steps one and two in place, when you've served them first and you set the example for them over time, when it comes time to share Jesus with them, it's going to be a natural conversation. It's going to be a good conversation. They're going to give their life to Jesus. And in many cases, they'll even open the conversation themselves. They'll be like, how is your life so different? How do you have so much joy? How are you still peaceful with the coronavirus going on? Like, what is this? You'll be able to tell them Jesus. And y'all, that's what they're looking for. Sometimes we try to come up with some clever answer for them, but they're just looking for the fact that it's because my hope and my faith is in Jesus Christ that I'm able to live my life in peace. Here it is in Scripture. 1 Peter 3.15, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. So it all starts with falling in love with Jesus and you make him the leader of your life. Step one. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it, but do it in a gentle and respectful way. So when people ask you what's different about you, be ready to explain it to them. And there's no need to come against their belief system or their sin. This isn't an argument. Just, be, just share your story. You don't have to have all the right words. You don't have to have all the right scriptures. You just say, hey, here's what Jesus did in my life, and trust God to work through that. It goes on to say this, keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they'll be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. So in other words, live your life in a way that reflects Jesus. Stand firm in the word of God and don't bow down to culture. And when you do this, even the people that come against you, even the people that reject your invitation for Jesus, later on they're going to be ashamed because they're going to look at you and see what a great life that you lived. I mean, that's good stuff. But you may be sitting there right now thinking, like, that's the problem. I don't act right. How do I fix it? I feel stuck. Well, let me explain this to you guys. I need you to get it. If you try really hard to act better... You try really, really hard, you're not going to get there. It's, you're going to make a little progress, and then you'll take two steps back, and a little progress, and two steps back. But when you grab a hold of the love God has for you, that's when you gain capacity to treat others well, to love others well. You see, 1 John 4.19 says, We love each other because He loved us first. And this literally means you have to first receive the love of God for yourself, before you can ever love others. This message wasn't to give you things to go out to do to try to get better. This message was actually to draw you closer to Jesus because that's what we all need. Everything we do here at No Limits, Sundays, small groups, growth track, dream team, is to draw you closer to Jesus because when you experience his love, you gain capacity to love others. It just kind of explodes. You're like, where did that come from? 
I didn't know I could love people so well. Well, you really can't. It's Jesus in you, Holy Spirit. You see, Romans 5, 8 says that God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. God didn't just tell you that he loved you. He showed you that he loves you by sending Jesus to die while we were still a hot mess. He didn't wait for you to get your life together. He's not waiting for you to get your life together. Like, he loves you anyway. And God made a way for you to experience his love even though you did nothing to deserve it. You can't deserve it. It's just a free gift. He loves you. Let me pray for you guys. God, we need to experience your love in a great and mighty way. I ask that you just let your love flood this room, flood our hearts, flood those who are listening online right now. Just let your love touch them right now. Lord, every day of our lives, I ask that you put something around us that reminds us of your love. Reminds me a few weeks ago when Darla was talking about how just a hummingbird flying by reminded her of God's love. I mean, just those simple things. God, put those things in our lives. God, your love is so great. It never fails. It never wavers. It never lessens. It only grows as we come to understand it. And as we learn how much you love us, I know that will empower us to love others with that same kind of love. Go ahead and keep your heads bowed, eyes closed. You may be sitting there right now with the realization that, hmm, I've never really received God's love. Like you've never experienced God's love and your heart's kind of crying out for it right now. Like, I need that. You may have even grown up as a Christian or grown up in church, went to church every Sunday, but it was only a duty. You went to church because you felt like you had to, but now you're ready to experience God's love in a deeper way than you ever have before. So if you're sitting there right now thinking, I need to take a step towards God's love. I need to receive his love and I'm ready to commit my life to Jesus. All you got to do is simply make that decision in your heart. That's something that happens right in your heart. And it's really that simple. You make a decision right now to follow Jesus. And then in your own way, you just say something like, yes, Jesus, I'll follow you. I've been living my own way, but today I choose to follow you because I realize that your way is better. There's no secret prayer. There's nothing you have to do. You just make a decision to receive God's love. So God, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus, and we receive that today. We thank you for your sacrifice, Jesus, and what you did on the cross to save us from our sins, to save us from our mess, to deliver us from all unrighteousness. Jesus, you did that even when you didn't even know if we were going to say yes or not. Even, it, even though you didn't know if we were going to receive it or not, you just did it anyway because you loved us that much. But today we receive it. We want you in our lives. We want your way. And we thank you for your great sacrifice. We thank you that you rose again on the third day. And now you're reigning and ruling in heaven. You're going to come back and get us. It's going to be a good day. We look forward to the day of your return. We know you're coming. 
And we're just grateful to be here on the earth that you placed us right here in this time on purpose, for a purpose, and we're going to live out that purpose. We're going to bring as many people to heaven with us as we can. God, empower us, equip us, fill us with your Holy Spirit, give us boldness, give us courage, show us exactly what you need us to do. Get us in the right job, in the right place, at the right time. God, we want your direction. We want your wisdom operating in our lives. And we trust you. Uh, Regardless of what's going on, in the world, regardless of who is elected as president. We trust you. We trust you that you are King of Kings. You are Lord of Lords. Your kingdom will reign eternal. We've already won. But we do lift our nation up to you. You've called this nation to be a light to the world. And we're not going to sit by and give it up. We're going to stand up and fight this spiritual battle that's going on in our nation. And Lord, we fight that through prayer, through prayers of faith. So we come to you in faith right now and ask that you give our president wisdom in the decisions that he makes, that you give him a refreshing, that you fill him with your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I ask that your peace just floods across this land. Everybody is so worried about so many different things, but what we need is your peace. And I ask that your people rise up and take their place of leadership, take their place of influence, that they possess their area of the land that you've called them to possess so that we can turn this nation around. I know that it doesn't take everybody to do it. You just need a few people to stand up and say, yes, God, I'll do it. I got the courage. I'll do what you've called me to do. So I thank you that you're calling people up all across this nation to do just that. And God, I ask that you equip them with resources, that you put people around them to support them in what they're doing, that you call people into places of leadership and education and in entertainment and in the government. God, that your people flood all these areas of our nation that have influence because your people need to be leading those areas. Lord, forgive us. We repent for not being in those areas, for bowing out of those areas and kind of like hiding in the church. We repent of that, God, and we're going to get out into those areas of influence because you need us there. You've called us there. So we just thank you for the business leaders that you're raising up right now to bring a tremendous amount of resources into your kingdom. We thank you for the people of God that are being called into government to go in there and flip that thing around. We thank you for the people of God who are being called into the entertainment industry to go get that cleaned up. We thank you for the people of God who are being called into education to bring God back into the school system, back into kids' lives. We thank you that the people of God are rising up with courage and strength to do what you've called them to do. God, we receive it. We submit to your will, your way, and we acknowledge that your way is better. We lift you high. We elevate you today. We humble ourselves. That's like one of the only things that you ask us to do by ourselves is humble ourselves. And we can do it. So we humble ourselves today. In the mighty name of Jesus, everybody said, amen. Amen. Good stuff. Y'all don't ever discount the power of prayer. The prayers of the righteous produce wonderful results. They work. All right, if you gave your life to Jesus today, that is so awesome. There's a journey that's ahead of you, and we want to support you along that journey. We don't want you to have to do it by yourself, but we can't support you if we don't know, so we set up an easy way for you to tell us. You simply text the word Jesus to 918-373-9883. We're not going to bug you. We're not going to spam you. We seriously just want to help you with your next steps with Jesus. So we want to be there for you, so go ahead and send that text. We talked a bit ago about how our giving is incomplete if we don't combine it with love. And I know I was just preaching to the choir because you guys are the most loving church, the most generous church that I've ever known. Like, seriously, it's so awesome. I love to see the fruit of that working in our church. 
If y'all ever want to see a biblical principle working, just look at what happened. Even through the coronavirus, God provided in abundance for this church, and we were able to do amazing things for those around us. And when we bring our resources together, like it enables us to impact lives in our church and in Mexico and the Philippines and in the prison ministries at the Pregnancy Resource Center and all the ministries that we support. So if you're ready to give today and you're giving by cash or check, you can raise your hand. One of our ushers will bring you an offering envelope, or you can give today or any time that you want to online. And how you do that is you open the browser on your phone, your tablet, your computer. On that little address bar, you type in nolimits.fyi, kind of like nolimits.com, so don't let that confuse you. Nolimits.fyi, and then there'll be a giving button there. You tap that, it gets you where you need to go. Thank you so much for joining us. And a special thanks to those that give in to our ministry. It's because of your generous giving that we're able to lead people to Jesus and make a difference all around the world. If you're ready to give, head to your browser and type nolimits.fyi into the address bar. And if you were encouraged by this podcast, then hit that share button and pass it on so that others can be encouraged as well. Or you can even take a screenshot and share it on your social stories. Thanks again for listening. Now let's go make a difference.